This episode of Medic Mindset is supported by iSimulate. From the very beginnings of this podcast, I've been committed to keeping Medic Mindset always and forever free. Their support allows me to do that. Thank you, iSimulate. Give the patient in the back, reach back behind me to grab the door, shut the door, and I looked at the patient, and I'm not kidding you when this is so cliche. He literally did the theatrical Hollywood cinematography of the eyes rolled into the back of the head and he just fell backwards and just boom. And I was like, Oh, Whoa, that's not good. And you were alone (laughs) though for a little bit with him. I was alone for a little bit, but I told the, I had one volunteer first responder with me and I'm like, can you please go get my partner? It was mostly my fault. We need to build a better rapport together as partners. I need to show her. We need to prove to each other that no matter what happens with that airway, I have your back. Even if I can't get the airway, even if you can't get the airway, we have superglottic airways. No matter what happens, I will have your back and this patient is going to be okay. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. I'm really excited to bring you this episode The two guests are partners, a flight medic and a flight nurse, and they dig into their relationship in a way that will make you think about your own role as a partner. We also have a chance to hear the flight medic reflect on many things, things like a near miss with a med error, what he wished he had learned more about in paramedic school, why he isn't a firefighter, and a wide range of other topics. You'll quickly hear what I heard. These two are yin and yang. She's spirited and animated. He's calm and steady. And together, they have each other's backs. Listen in. So you started EMT in high school. Would you have guessed then that you would be currently doing what you're doing? Or did you think you were on a different path? I knew that I was going to be doing what I'm doing. And it sounds so cliche because everybody's like, oh, I never knew what I want to do in high school. And I have uh, friends who have told me that they think it's dumb almost that when I was 10th grade in high school, I was like, I'm going to be a paramedic and I'm probably going to go fly. And then I got to my senior year and I'm like, I'm definitely going to go be a flight paramedic. And then I'm actually doing it now. And they're like 10 years later and they're like, nobody does that. Nobody in my, that I went to high school with does that. So does what, like has a plan and executes yeah, well, it. Yeah, exactly. They always had a plan, but none of them executed it. Mm-hmm. They always give me crap for the fact that I actually executed my plan. <laughs> So do you have more plans or are you just enjoying day-to-day right now? I live day-to-day. I got to where I wanted to be and I am sitting happy, enjoying it. I finally don't kill myself with anxiety and stress. I just live day-to-day now. It's nice. We were texting a little bit before this. You said, I don't remember what the context was, but you were saying something about you work so much you almost killed yourself. (laughs) Yeah. What do you mean? So just like everybody in EMS, our golden goose is overtime or built-in overtime. Uh, Also in EMS, uh, we don't make all that great amount of money. I have been so significantly poor and broke for as long as I can remember. And then I finally found myself in a situation where I can actually start supporting myself and somebody else and live a comfortable lifestyle. That was a couple years ago, and then I just was like, I never want to go back to not being broke. So so I just don't realize it, but I always pick up work and overtime and part-time jobs because I'm just always worried of never having money again. Mm -hmm. So there's really no reason for it, but I did it. And it's just, it's really not a healthy thing to do. He picked up an overtime shift last week, so far away from home that he had to go the day before and stay in a hotel hotel so that he could make it to work on time the next morning. So you're still doing it? 
So, uh, yeah, not as much as I used She's to. She's telling on you. No, she is. She is. Mm-hmm. But, I got a uh, picture of the hotel room. It was sad. <laughs> uh, you know, I still do it, but definitely not near as much because we work one week on, one week off. So in that week off, I still love my job and I force myself to go at least work a little bit. Yeah. I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> you don't? I go to the gym, but the gym only takes like an hour and a half of your day. So, so the reason we're all sitting here right now is because you um, suggested that I might interview him. Why did you suggest him? Because I love him so much. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what do you love about him? I just really like our interaction when we work together. We can just just talk so much shit to each other watch terrible TV, I can make him eat bad food, and when those tones drop, it's game time. I always knew that, like, if I was unsure about something, I trusted him. There was one time, this is a huge deal between us still, I know it bothers him so much, we were going on a call, and he said, if that patient needs an airway, I had never tubed somebody, and he, you were still fairly new, and I... Didn't want to tube my first patient with him. New to the aircraft. (laughs) Not new to tubing people. I know, but I didn't have, we didn't have as much of a rapport. And I was like. And what was he saying? He said, if we have to tube this patient, do you want the airway? And I said. Seems like a reasonable question to ask. And I said, no. Okay. Because if I'm going to tube somebody for the first time, I want it to be with. (laughs) Don't say the name. Not with him? Or somebody else. Because we hadn't like built that rapport. And I was so nervous. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You were saying you didn't want to tube in front of him? It's not that I didn't want to tube in front of him. It's that I was, I didn't know how good he was at his job yet. And I did not feel confident in my own skill in that particular area. And I was like, if I fuck this up, are you going to be guiding me through this? And I don't know. What your le- I had never seen him tube somebody. Sure. And I was like, you're like 12. So <laughs> I know Rude. you're not. I know you're not 12. Dang. I know. Rude. I know. But still, I was like, I I just needed to feel more secure. Mm-hmm. I felt insecure. Yeah. And then I felt insecure like, oh, my God, I don't want to feel insecure in you. I already feel insecure in me. And he was so fucking hurt by that. <laughs> we still talk about it. But it made me so pay more attention to his skill, and it made me, when I saw the look on his face, I was like, I am totally off about this right now. He knows what he's doing, and I need to trust him. And then I just started paying more attention and gaining more confidence in him, and I feel like every time I would go to work, like I would intentionally pick up on his shifts. And I just loved working with him, because I could just be myself. He didn't care. When he first started, he was so quiet, and I would just give him shit all the time. And I was like, he hates me. And then he started giving it back, and I was like, no, he loves me. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember her saying that? Uh, saying about she didn't want to do the About tubing yeah. somebody? No, he yeah. definitely does. He told no, it to me yes, verbatim. Like, like, <laughs> it, like it was yesterday. Um, and um, What did that mean to you? It was... Uh, what that meant to me is that was... 100% my fault that she doesn't want to tube this patient. 
when it comes to my partner who is extremely proficient in an interfacility transfer, she's very, very good with pharmacology. She knows the ins and outs of a hospital, uh, how to look through labs, how to look through the paperwork and the appropriate things like that. Whereas I'm pretty proficient in a sink call. I can take an airway. I can do hands-on skills. I can stabilize a patient very quickly. It's my fault she doesn't want to take that airway because she's not confident in herself because she's not confident in me because if she attempts that airway and something bad happens, she doesn't trust me to have her back. And to me, it meant I wasn't paying it. Like I could see that in his face and I was like, I'm not paying enough attention to his skill. It is mostly my fault um, that we need to build a better rapport together as partners and I need to show her and uh, we need to prove to each other that no matter what happens with that airway, I have your back. Even if I can't get the airway, even if you can't get the airway, guess what? We have superglottic airways. No matter what happens, I will have your back, and this patient is going to be okay. And I never made that clear enough to her, and not just in airway, but in every way, every form and fashion, and this goes for every partner, that you need to make sure that your partners know, I have your back. No matter what happens, airway-related, medication-related, every single call-related, if my partner has my back, Going into that call, I'm confident as hell. I'm going to make sure that this patient's going to get to the hospital safely. I think what made us really good partners was that we both recognized that in that like one interaction. And we both started paying more attention and communicating differently where I didn't just tease him anymore. We would talk more. The tones would drop. This is the patient that you're going to get. We'd get our quick report and we'd go out and we would make sure that we had everything that we needed. And we'd be like, hey, this is our plan when we get on scene we started communicating better yeah we kept our silliness Mm -hmm. but then there was also that when it's time to do this it's time to do it and we trusted each other more okay so yeah i was curious about what happened with that patient no so he didn't need to uh, we actually, actually, we, we, got, we canceled got canceled on that on call. call. We got canceled. The patient, the patient was deceased. Yeah, the patient um, died before so, we got there. So the patient did, was deceased before we got there. We got canceled. But I told her a couple months ago, I had a nurse, and that has stuck in my head. Like, how can I make myself a better partner? How can I truly, truly, truly be an asset to my partner? Yeah. So how can I truly, truly, truly bring something to the table that makes them more confident in their abilities? And um, we had an EMS uh, tone drop. EMS is bringing the patient to the helipad. And um, uh, we're getting out there. And I was working with a brand new nurse. She just got hired. And she doesn't even work at her base. She works somewhere else. She was doing a, an overtime shift. We walk out to the helipad, grab all the stuff out. Uh, patient's on the way there. I heard the call go out on the scanner. I knew it was a bad call. And I looked to my nurse, and I was like 95% sure that we're going to be tubing this patient. I was like, do you want the airway? And she goes, no, do not want this airway. And I was like, okay, well, how about this? What if we get into the back, I evaluate the airway. If I think it's a good enough airway for you to try for your first time, you do the tube. And no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. I have your back. If you can't get the tube, we'll try again. We'll do something different. We'll make another attempt. We get into the back. I made her go into the side door. We did have to tube this patient. I kind of put her in the jump seat, and she was a little, you can tell she was a little nervous. And the first time, it didn't work. The second time, EMS is super, super strong. They're such good medics. They were bagging the patient up. The patient remained completely stable. 
we went in for a second attempt and I walked her through. We changed a couple things and we got it to where you could see those vocal cords beautifully. And the second you felt that gunk gunk of the two passing through, her eyes lit up and she looked like she was going to cry. She was so happy. And it was the coolest feeling in the world because I got to change the way that I practice with my partner to help her be successful. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I wish that that was me that that happened to because then I'd be like, see, we did it. (laughs) (laughs) But you learned... So, man, I didn't even understand what you were trying to say earlier. But what you were saying was you didn't trust him enough in his abilities to coach you through your deficiencies. I knew I was going to be deficient. Yeah. And I didn't know his abilities enough. Yeah. You hadn't built that trust. Yeah. We'd flown multiple calls before, but they weren't that level of patient or that particular type of setting. And I was like, I have never seen you do this skill. Yeah. I've never seen you walk through this skill. I don't know what your level of skill is. Obviously, you must be able to do it because you're here, but I'm also here and I don't know how to yeah. do it. Yeah. So that yeah. makes me nervous. Totally. Now, my other partner, I'd seen him tube people. And so I was like, I just feel more comfortable doing it with him because I know that he can coach me through this and I don't know that you can, you know, and I feel like that was like a pivotal moment in our partnership and friendship that like now we're like bonded because I didn't trust him. Now I trust him with everything. It sounds like you learned your partners are needing to hear from you the explicit words like we're in this together. Like not just be like, you got this. All right, good. Go for Mm -hmm. it. You explicitly said to this other partner, I'm here. We will get this. Like you, that's extreme ownership. I've got this. Mm -hmm. Not just I've got your back. Like at the end of the day, I got it. Mm-hmm. And when he when you asked me, I was thinking in my head, the way that we com- had that interaction, he was like, if this is an airway, do you want it? It was I was like, I actually no, I don't think I do because yeah. because it was almost like it was going to be on me. Mm-hmm. I was expected yeah. to know how to do it. And I was like, well, shit, I don't actually know yeah. how to do I, it. I truly learned in my coming into the flight world, not working with another medic where airway was just another skill where nurses, some nurses really, really want to have fun and play and and, uh, mess with airways and whatnot where other ones just don't want to touch it. So I had a learning experience with that particular situation where I need to present it a little bit differently. My communication needed to be a little bit better and um, show them that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay and I'm going to have their back. So it helped me be a better preceptor uh, learning from that. So it was good. Was it video laryngoscopy or direct? It was direct. And so when you were coaching that partner through it, Y'all both could see the airway. <laughs> I helped her. Or she said so, she had so the view, maybe. Do you remember the first time you attempted an airway? Totally. Okay, so you have no idea what you're going to see, what it's going to feel yeah. like, what it's what it's going to be like, because it's not a mannequin anymore. So you can tell her going into that airway, she was just doing it kind of like a mannequin. She wasn't going slow. She wasn't going methodical. She wasn't going lips, teeth, tongue, uvula, epiglottis. She was doing what she did with a mannequin. That was no fault of her own. You try to talk him through that, but it was the first attempt. She quickly realized that she wasn't seeing the landmarks that she needed to, so she pulled out. Completely good on her part. The second time I asked her, what did you see, what did you did not see? And she was like, I can't see anything. I don't know. I, I don't know. 
And um, so I said, okay, let's try this again. So we elevated the head. We made sure that we truly had the patient in ear to sternal notch. We had suction ready. We changed the blade and I got a bougie, which she didn't know how to use the bougie before. I didn't know that. She was comfortable. I asked her what materials that she wanted. And so we gave her. So I said, okay, let's try this. So we did those things. And when she went in for the second time, we went slow. We, you know, I made sure that she saw the epigonus. We were 15 seconds in. We looked and she's like, I can't see anything. can't see anything. And I told her not to move. And I came over her shoulder. I grabbed the blade. I pushed up just a little bit, put it into the vellicula and I could see the cords. She was right behind. I mean, she, and you can tell that she saw the cords too. Cause she was like, give me the bougie, give me the bougie, give me the bougie. <laughs> and so she grabbed, we gave her the bougie and she put the, put the bougie in and she, and she stopped like right when she went through. And I'm like, I'm like, sink that go till you meet resistance. And so she pushed it in right when she hit that resistance. Uh, we slid the, the tube over and, and you could feel that she was like, go gunk, go gunk. And I uh, got that tube and she just lit up like a Christmas tree. It was really cool. Love that. I walked a med student through starting his first IV ever because they don't learn how to do <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It is so fulfilling to walk someone through success. Yeah. To help someone else have success. And it always, you know, when you think about it, you're like, man, it felt like that procedure took forever. But you look back on the monitor and it was like 28 seconds. We had that tube secured on that second attempt and sats never dropped below 100% because we were so huge on, you know, pre-oxygenation, making sure that we have that nasal cannula and making sure we have that, uh, that non-rebreather on and... Then again, that EMS was there. We had a good two-hand seal, and they made sure those stats never dropped. And it was so good to have the amount of resources that we did to create a good learning environment and help that patient out in the long run. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was good for everybody. He just really cares so much about everything he does, everything, and I think that that's like so admirable. Mm-hmm. He cares about how he studies he cares about how he takes care of himself he cares about how he takes care of the patients he really legitimately loves what he does and i feel like so many people i would hope that people who do our type of jobs actually love what they do and sometimes i meet people and i'm like why are you doing this job i never felt that way about him and then especially after we had that interaction where we were rebuilding trust with each other Mm -hmm. he just really loves this and i started really paying attention to how he did everything and how he would study and how he would even just like take care of the base or take care of himself. There's just something about him that is so endearing and caring. I just, I just love him. And I think he's so good at what he does, but he's really humble. Mm -hmm. That's my little man. That's your little man. (laughs) How long have y'all known each other? Two, three years. Two Uh, Two and a half years. For years, I've encouraged paramedics to get degrees. But when I carefully listened to the stories of paramedics, I realized there are challenges that have to be addressed. Things like 2448s, childcare, mortgages. I'm pleased to share that I have an answer that matches what I know about the working paramedic who tells me they are ready to pursue a degree. Eastern Kentucky University offers a bachelor's in emergency medical care that is 100% online and allows college credit for existing state or national registry certifications. EKU is a nationally known program, and I trust them to take good care of Medic Mindset listeners who want to start their journey toward a degree. You can go to the show notes for this episode for a link or simply use go.eku.edu backslash medic to get started. All right, I wanted to ask you, 
if there was something in paramedic school that you didn't learn that later you're like, why did they not teach us this? Or if you could get a group of, you know, four or five could just pile in here right now, paramedic students, and you had them for, you know, four, six, eight hours, be like, okay, guys, this is what you need to know. This is the stuff they're forgetting to tell you. Is there anything like that? Yes. Um, I had an EMT student literally just last week. He was amazing. He was so infatuated with the job itself and wanted to ask questions and jump was jumping in there and wanted everything to do with it. And I love, I love that. I love the, the enthusiasm of my students that, that I have like that. So to capitalize on, on what you just said, I'll tell you what I told him. And this goes for EMTs and paramedics both. Number one is legalities. I have caught myself in some situations I've gotten lucky enough where the difference between who you can transport, who you can obtain a refusal from, who you can force to go to the hospital, what implied consent is, what verbal consent is, what you do with a minor, what do parents have you know, responsibilities over, things like that are so, so, so big. And when you're 21 years old as a medic and you're making decisions out in the street with no supervisor, no nothing going on, you have to figure out what can I legally get away with and not get in trouble for neglect, abandonment, or anything like that. Legalities are huge. So I would say legalities 100%. The next thing, patient assessment. Your medicine, your fancy tools, your fancy drugs, your fancy monitor, all that can come a little bit later with a little bit of hands-on experience. But learning a good thorough general impression and very good hands-on patient assessment and figure out what's going on with your patient is astronomical because you have to be an expert at what's normal before you can be proficient in what's not. So if you can figure out what's normal and you're like, hey, I listen to breath sounds. I know what normal sounds like, but this is not normal. I don't know what's going on. That is a good start. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a good thorough patient assessment. And then third is documentation. We did a very little amount of documentation. Probably the best uh, amount of documentation uh, training that I ever got was through EMT school that I had went to uh, in Austin, and um, <laughs> and uh, and that has saved me so many times with my narrative. I have testified on stand three times, one of which being one of which being in federal court, and it wasn't for malpractice. Yeah, thank goodness, knock on wood. But for uh, some not okay calls that I had been on and involved with. And the only thing that saved myself, my department and the people involved was my documentation. I think the training that I had prior for helping me, but I would definitely say documentation for sure being top three. I think you're one and three. Obviously I didn't go to paramedic school, but it would be the same for nurses. They need to teach more about legality. I think it's different because there's different departments that we work in working in the ER When nurses come to the ER, I feel like that should be a part of their orientation because we deal with the same thing. You guys might not feel comfortable letting somebody go on the street, but then there's nothing we can legally do to hold them. And people are very quick to be like, I'm going to call my lawyer. And I'm like... Oh, yeah. Do you actually have one of those? I don't know. Maybe they do. It's a Sue, I don't it's a Sue know. Happy World. One of the nurses that works in our yeah. department is also a lawyer. He worked for the DA's office. So we're like, hold on a second. Hey, is this legal? You yeah. know, like the legality thing definitely is so huge, especially working in a city where like people come in under all different kinds of circumstances. And you're like, oh, God, I don't, yeah. you know, like newer nurses are like, 
just let people go. And I'm like, you can't let that person go. And then they'll hold the next person. And I'm like, you can't hold that person. You know, there, there's so much variation there. Yeah. That's when, huge. When I was an FTO, that was definitely the biggest thing I harped on was your documentation has to be just amazing. Your patient care, we can coach and we can help anybody and help really set them up for success with their patient care, but their documentation, that has to be something that has to be just drilled into yeah. people's heads. I'm a really strange, so, so big. stringent documenter. I There's one of the nurses that works with us now. He's a charge nurse now, but I precepted him when he first started at our hospital, and he always tells people when I was precepting him in trauma, I used to throw his charts away because his documentation was so bad. He would come out because on trauma, you do the paper chart and I would like read through it and I'd be like, make a photocopy of it. And then I'd be like, this is shit. And I would put it in the shredder <laughs> and he'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I literally have no idea. It'd be like, patient came to hospital. Patient went to CT. I'm like, cool. What do they look like? Yeah. You have to say, I fill my pages of documentation. Yeah. I'm constantly charting things. Hmm. And then maybe like, uh, always check your truck. Or mm-hmm. aircraft, always check. I don't care if your best friend, if, if your mom, if you're taking over the truck for your family, check that truck. Because yeah. maybe they didn't check the truck before the people they took it over with. There's always something missing. And when you're on a truck or a helicopter, you don't have a supply room. No. You can't just go grab that. No. Yeah, and you're you're the fresh set of eyes. You're the one that's rested, allegedly, yeah, allegedly. coming on. Yeah. He definitely is. He probably went to bed at 6 p.m. the night before. <laughs> Did you call yourself type A or did she call you type A? I'm type A. This happened earlier. (laughs) I'm type A. He definitely is. You own it though? No, definitely a type A. Yeah. Does it wear you out? Depends on what you think is worn out. No, I definitely. I'm like, do you have like anxiety? Are you like losing sleep? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to sleep. Sometimes I sleep really good. And then there's other times where I just like, I can't sleep to save my life. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're type A about everything. The way he eats, his exercise, his sleep, his work, his everything. I blame EMS. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. To get him to eat a cheeseburger, oh, yeah, I'd be like, it's a special occasion. I'm here. You're going to be here. Yeah. I, I know. I'm shocked. I was going to say, I drink, I drink my calories. <laughs> yeah, it's like my cheese, my calories. I've got him to eat Whataburger once, and the crew coming on was like, why are there two cups here? And I was like, I got Whataburger with me. And they were like, what? Dude, Whataburger <laughs> is definitely my guilty pleasure. Though, yeah. So you said EMS made you that way? Definitely. Why? EMS changed me. Uh, I would say for the better because it helped me mature a lot faster, um, grow up a lot faster. And uh, when you truly learn that there's people that depend on you when you clock in, it a station environment is a family environment. But when you're by yourself on the ambulance with your partner, it's survival of the fittest. Your success is all upon yourself. And if you're not checking your truck, for instance, you're not doing your documentation. You're not doing the things that you need to do and be a little bit anal about it. It can come back to really hurt you. So, I'm having two thoughts. I think I want to go this this way with it. <laughs> did, did shit happen? And you were like, that's never happening again. From now on, I've got my shit together. Oh, yeah. Like oh. early on, did stuff happen? You don't learn from when positive things go right. Yeah, you don't learn from positive experiences. <laughs> you only learn from when you mess up or a mistake happens. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh. I've made mistakes. Mm. So, You got any favorites? Um, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> you learn so much when you mess up. Favorites, 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 favorites. Mistakes, right? We're talking about mistakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have a favorite mistake. <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> you do? It's not work related. 
<laughs> oh, good God. I don't have a favorite mistake. My All my mistakes suck. Does your program go over the six R's? Yes. So the six R's for med administration are... Nobody He's knows. He's about to tell you. Nobody knows what You repeat one, is. I think. Anyway, carry on. There's actually 20 R's. It goes, you look at the vial and you're like, Zofran, Zofran, Zofran. Okay, this is Zofran, Zofran, Zofran. Okay, right, patient, Zofran. So 18 right, of them are Zofran. <laughs> yeah, so really, really making sure that's the right darn drug that you're grabbing because companies don't realize that if they make a purple top, the same uh, a saline purple top and then calcium is also a purple top in the exact same size and the exact same like print and color and everything uh the calcium thing uh thank goodness that um when i was on the ground they still work at the same service it's very rural uh, service we're very aggressive our transport times are shortest or 35 minutes our lights and sirens our longest can be up to like an hour and 15 minutes it's myself, and my partner, no first responders, and we need RSI of this person. Um, so we're going in for the RSI. We get the tube. Everything's going great. We've done it a couple times together. We're brand new partners. And then um, I was like, hey, man, can you uh, grab the VEC? Because uh, we don't have ventilators, so we have to do long-term paralytics. And um, so he grabs the VEC. He reconstitutes it. He grabs the saline, draws it up, pushes it into the VEC, draws up the VEC, and then it's always my thing that before I give a med, I show my partner like, hey, I'm giving ketamine. Hey, I'm giving fentanyl. Hey, I'm whatever. Show them the um, the vial. And I'm like, yeah, cool. It looks good. And uh, he showed me the vials, and it was calcium gluconate that he had pulled up and reconstituted with VEC because the sterile saline was the exact same color top, exact same size vial as the calcium gluconate was. And he grabbed the wrong one and didn't look at it. So we caught it before we caught it we caught it before we administered it because we show each other the vials before we administer the drug and then we say okay good let's do it and he showed it to me and my rectum hit me in the throat and i said did you give that and he said no and i said thank god please let's do this again we finished the call we talked about it after i've never seen somebody beat themselves up harder um he was a very good medic still is a very good medic and what's important is that we caught it you know that's why you have to have a good relationship with your partners and trust your partners and ever since then he's a better medic now i think because our clinical practice was on point we always did training every single shift by ourselves i was just really thankful that we had practice enough that we know that before we give a med no matter what it is, show the vial to your partner. That's a, that's called a near miss. Mm-hmm. A lot of services will have people report their near misses too. Oh, we reported it. So other people can learn like, hey, the calcium looks like the saline or whatever. Yeah. Unfortunately, our service didn't have the best program for near misses. How I don't know what the, the appropriate uh, term for that would be. Like um, reporting policy? Yeah, reporting policy, you know, protocols, policies, procedures for something like that. Um, we did self-report it just because we knew we weren't going to get in trouble, but just hopefully... It's really useful info. It's amazingly useful. I can't tell you how many times I email my medical director for charts that I want him to look at. And sometimes he's emailed me back and just been like, I'll look at it when I get a chance. I'm sure it's fine. Like, <laughs> There is some time. utility in making the mistake. And if it can happen during simulation, like when you're in school, that's they kind of <laughs> get it. Like We had a guy the other day who was giving on Danzatron, and he kept reading the label. 
and he kept saying aldosterone. I don't know why. For sure. Honestly, I think he was going through the motions and not actually, obviously he wasn't actually phonetically yeah. reading it. Odinosterone? <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's just, your brain can play tricks on you. Oh my gosh, yes. Have you ever had a patient die in front of you? Uh, lost count. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. just lose pulses? Yes. And have you ever had a conscious patient? Yes. Die in front of you? Yes. Um. <laughs> Did you guys lock me out? No. I could not. I think it auto locked. I don't believe you. <laughs> you probably didn't. It was an auto lock. I can't even use the door. You guys Did want you me pee? to beat somebody? <laughs> I have to pee too. You want to keep interviewing him? Yeah, sure. Right. But finish your story. Um, what was your question again? I don't remember. Just talk. We were talking about, oh, how can we forget? What callous assholes. Has anyone ever died in front of you? It is very callous. If you asked about. We <laughs> <laughs> were so, talking about some guy that died. I've, yeah, so uh, you said conscious patients. So obviously yeah. I've had tra- tra- trauma patients with pulses initially go pulseless. Many times. I've had one medical patient that went pulseless on me. Uh, like, it was the weirdest thing. He was a flash pulmonary edema patient, hypoxia kills. And uh, we walk up, he's tripod position, can't talk. And I'm um, uh, just kind of like, we know what's going on, he won't talk to me. My general impression wasn't as good as it should have been. So, stood him up, put him on the stretcher, rolled him to the ambulance. We put him in the back of the ambulance, and I looked at my partner, I'm like, hey man, can you go get demos? And he goes, yeah, sure. So he walks away, give the patient in the back, reach back behind me to grab the door, shut the door, and I looked at the patient, and I'm not kidding you when, this is so cliche, he literally did the theatrical Hollywood cinematography of the eyes rolled into the back of the head, and he just fell backwards, and just boom. And I was like, oh, whoa, that's not good. And you were alone, though, for a little bit with him. I was alone for a little bit, but I told the, I had one volunteer first responder with me, and I'm like, can you please go get my partner? Yeah. Yeah. Quickly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Double time. We got pulses back, luckily, so uh, I think he actually walked out. You ever delivered a baby? I have. I've delivered two. What? Yes. So, oh, two and a half. The second one. <laughs> it was a half baby. Well, no. I the, feel like we shouldn't be laughing yet. Don't or, laugh yet. No, no. no. It, or, it was could two, be tragic. It was two and a half because it was halfway out by the time, or it was like the feet, the the legs were only still left in oh. there by the time I got there. So I didn't really consider that. Yeah, she oh, was like the baby had delivered, and you. Yeah, just the had baby to... had delivered, and it was just the legs that were still in the vagina by the time I got there. So, but the other two. <gasps> oh, got it. I can laugh now. Oh my gosh. Permission to laugh. Okay. Jeez. So, so like, when you have a baby, baby, it comes out head first and then the legs are last. <laughs> if you're unaware, we ideally, both had babies. <laughs> ideally, sometimes the legs come That's out first. That's not always the way it all right, happens. All right, professor. Buddy. Since <laughs> I can't say your name. <laughs> Buddy. Buddy. Um, yeah, so two, two and a half. Wow. Two and a half, yeah. Oh you God, don't get what? to count the legs. That baby's already delivered. Okay, fine. I've only delivered Yeah, but you, you cared for the newborn. Yeah. I was terrified to deliver my first baby. And my partners and my other stations, all day long, they would come over, hang out, cook dinner right before they leave. be like, hey, hope you delivered a baby today. And then they would like shut the door and leave. Because <laughs> like, they knew oh, you were afraid. Assholes. Yeah. And um, uh, there was a shift where 
my director was about to leave and right before he walked out he was like hey i hope you delivered a baby today i'm like oh, okay fine very funny and then no joke literally like two hours later we delivered a baby my first one it was terrifying yeah it's a lot of water if no the, it just uh, smells bad does it well i mean there's a lot of, there's just a lot of everything there's a lot of stuff going on yeah, yeah. It just smells bad well did they poop themselves that's why it smelled bad it doesn't smell bad amniotic fluid has a smell I know, but like, okay. it's not, well, you can leave. It's very earthy. <laughs> like our ambulance stunk to high heaven. We had to change into scrubs because it smelled so. Like our clothes. Wait a minute, so that doesn't bad. sound right. Um, I actually uh, did have a resident once, not that long ago, who I thought that the attending had pushed him out of the way during a delivery. Afterwards, I asked him, and I was like, "Did he just not let you deliver that baby?" And he was like, "No, I almost passed out." And I said, "Well, what happened to you?" And his response was, <laughs> there were so many smells, I almost passed out. So maybe and I was there like, are a bunch of That's smells. That's weird, because I've caught a baby kneeling down in front of somebody before in a wheelchair, and I never noticed that. But maybe it's different if you've had a baby or no, no, a girl, it or definitely, like depending on the patient. or It didn't smell until afterwards. During the time, you don't smell it. You're just like, yeah. oh, crap, this sucks. Delivering the baby. Yeah, it was after the fact, for sure. <laughs> Well, it's just like in the ambulance. It was just, yeah. Have you ever been a firefighter? Yes. Did you like that? Hated it. It's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't good at being a firefighter because I had no interest in it. And it wasn't fair to my captain, my other firefighters, my my buddies, my family, that if my heart's not in it, it's not fair to y'all. I don't need to be here, so... I like medicine a lot more, so I went to, I was like, I'll just go to the ambulance. You guys can fight the fires. So when did you figure that out, though? Because you, you were really early when you started EMT school. You know, you do your brush fires as a volunteer and, and whatnot, and you get a little bit of experience that way. And then I went to my first structure fire, and I was like, this is hot, and this is really boring. The element of being excited, obviously, is there, uh, because it is a structure fire. It's very dangerous, but... I just didn't want to be there. It just wasn't me. And I knew immediately that this is not what I want to do. So I was like, all right, I'm going to continue my original plan of pursuing uh, being a paramedic. Because everybody told me, just be a firefighter. I just didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. I've heard people say that here, that they're going to leave and go to fire because fire has really great benefits yeah. and they have oh, yeah. good hours and they have good pay. And But I think that if you don't want to do it, that downtime would be boring. Yeah. That fire would be cumbersome. I can't imagine doing something that I didn't really want to do just for the pay or the benefits or the downtime. I get that. Being yeah. like, eh, it's not for me. And when you say you're going to work till you retire, could you just be a flight medic till you retire? And you could take the just out of that sentence. Will you be a flight medic till you retire? Like running calls? I will be in medicine until I retire. I can't definitively say that I'll be in flight medicine, providing direct patient care that way. Long term, I would love to be a director for an EMS service and really mold it the way that I want it to be. Get in with a good medical director, be um, proactive, have strong medics, and really have just like a really good progressive service and uh, uh, build it that way. That would be amazing that'd be a lot of fun and truly mold ems how it should be and how it should be seen and educate the community and hospitals and in, in that area wherever it is 
Um, if that opportunity were to ever arise, that would be awesome. I think. It's like ground 911. Ground 911, yes. That's cool. I wouldn't have guessed you were going to say that. <laughs> Go back to your roots. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I definitely don't forget where I came from. Um, I don't. I really don't. Honestly, I don't think flight medicine is as prestiged compared to ground EMS as it used to be. When I first got an EMS, that was the end-all, be-all. Let's be flight medics. Go be a flight medic. That's the cool, that's the top of the totem pole. And ground EMS has significantly progressed from where it used to be. The National Registry doesn't recognize you as a EMT anymore. They don't recognize you as a technician. They recognize you as a clinician. That's why they call it a nationally registered paramedic. You're no longer a technician. You have the education the experience and um, the training behind what you do to understand what it is that you do. You no longer do something because you're supposed to. You do it because you know what you're doing. EMS services now carry antibiotics. They carry eye stats. They carry ultrasounds. They carry blood. They carry everything and sometimes more that a flight service does. So sometimes bases hurt because they don't get flights from EMS anymore because they don't, they don't need them. Granted, yeah. to be faster is really all we have sometimes over an EMS service. Um, kind of hot how she's drinking it out of the bottle itself. <laughs> well, you gave me this coffee mug, and yes. I had to put coffee in it. Oh, well, I have another one. You haven't finished it yet? What, well, it's Here. almost gone now, but then my wine's going to taste like coffee, and Just I actually want more coffee like you in the mug. <laughs> <laughs> he opened it and was like, start drinking, so I did. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the Jamaican lady that sold you this bottle of wine would bottle be like, what are you going to do with this bottle of wine? Oh, I'm going to bring it to a podcast studio <laughs> and she's going to drink it out of the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, um, she's always cranked up. Do you have any creative stuff? No. Drawing, writing, you journal. I know how to play the recorder really good. Everybody yeah. Have and you, their right you, mind knows how to play the recorder. So there's this no, there's this piece. <laughs> it's a United States no, no, requirement. No, hang, no, hang on, hang on a <laughs> there's this piece. It's a delicacy. Um, delicacy. Have you ever heard of hot cross buns? <laughs> no. I could totally play that on the recorder. Mum it out for me. <laughs> Mum it. Did you know, you know how the little little curvy piece where the mouth goes on the recorder? Did you know that that's a resting position for your chin? No, it's not. So where to God. Why would you have to rest your chin? The songs I, no, are only like very I'm tired. My, I'm very tired. No, my music teacher I thought in it was fourth for your grade, she goes, okay, guys, resting positions. And we assume the position. Is that your coffee? Yeah, you want right. some? You keep. You guys keep talking. I need as many beverages as possible. <laughs> like second table. Over there. Perfect. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm going to knock something over here. <clears throat> I know. Nah, maybe I will.